Welcome back to the Bookshop Chronicles. My name is Brandy, and I am so glad that you are here because today we are talking books. We are talking books the entire time. No business stuff, no bookshop stuff. Don't worry, we will do those in another episode. But for today, on this episode, we are talking books. Books I've read recently, a few that I read a while back, but I just wanted to throw some titles at you because this is a season where we might have more time to just sit and read. For some of you, that is not the case. You're thinking, yeah, I wish. I get it. I know. But we are allowed to carve out time in our jobs, in our lives, whatever's going on for self-care, for rest. Books are all those things, y'all. You can use books for all the good things to take care of yourself. So I'm going to give you some fun titles, some dark titles, and we're just going to get right to it. Here we go. Okay, so the very first book that I'm going to talk about today is called Beach Read by Emily Henry. Now, for some of you, this is not a new title. You're like, mm, yeah, Brandy, we have heard of this. We have read this. This is not fresh. But for others, you're thinking, ooh, Brandy, tell me more. This was Emily Henry's summer book last year. And I always like to just wait a little while to see what sort of rises to the top. You know, I don't think that every book that comes out that has all the hype is necessarily the best pick. It is the one that people and publishers and companies want to make their money back for and they want to think of it as a big sales funnel, but it might not be the best reading experience for you at that time. So I like to give books a little bit of a chance to sort of test the waters and see if they're still talked about and still relevant enough a little while later. <laughs> this one, absolutely. Beach Read was so fun to read. And I think it was actually more appropriate for me this year than if I had read it last year. So all in all, excellent. The premise of this story, we have two authors, January and Gus. They are sort of rivals. And she writes romances, he writes a little bit more of a sciencey or fantasy fiction, I guess. And they both find themselves as adjoining neighbors in this small town because she needs to escape her life and just rediscover writing again. She's in a writing slump and she doesn't know what to do about it. Gus is going through his own writing slump next door and they decide to have a little contest. What if we switch genres and see if each of us can tackle the other one and maybe reinvigorate our writing style? Well, yeah. So you kind of know what's gonna happen. It has a bit of a predictable format. There's a little bit of a romance, of course. There's a self-awakening and the discovery of their literary prowess. And there's all sorts of fun things that happen. But what I especially like about this book is the witty banter. I felt as if I was really reading a rom-com movie. And that is not so easy to come by. There are romance books and there are humor books, but very rarely have I found the really good blend of the two together. This one I thought was a super, super choice. Beach Read by Emily Henry. I loved it. It was great. Okay, the next rom commie book that I read, because I kind of feel as if I'm in a bit of a, a pattern right now. You know, you get in that mood where you just want to read more of the same thing. It might not be your regular genre, it might not be your jam, but for a little while, you just need to dip your toes in and try something new. Well, this is what I'm doing now. I'm thinking that this is my summer of trying new things and feel good reads. So 
My next book is called The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. Christina Lauren is the co-author pen name of Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings, who are best friends and writing partners. They have written a story that was so fun for me to read. So you know how I like books that have a little bit of an ethical dilemma? I think that always keeps it very interesting. This one had a very fun premise for me. So Jess is a single mom of a young girl named Juno, and she <laughs> unwittingly enters into a DNA matchmaking experiment by her best friend, as best friends in books are, you know, want to do. So Jess is perfectly matched to Dr. River Pena, who is the co-founder of this DNA matchmaking company. Now, I think if there was a drinking game for how many times Christina Lauren talked about how unbelievably good looking River is, we would have been wasted by the middle of the book. The conversation around how handsome he is and how unbelievably gorgeous he is and all we get it. He's cute. Okay. So he's the kind of character that is all the things. He's perfect. He's handsome. He's incredibly smart. He's wealthy. He's independent. He's sensitive. You know, he's that perfect male character, which you kind of like, but then you also think, I'm going to look for something wrong with you because you can't be this perfect. Yeah. So he's a good, he's good for that, I think. Um, I like Jess's character. I think she had a little too much inner monologue going on, but overall, this was a super fun book and not as predictable as I would have thought. So I like this one. This was a fresh read for me. I have never read anything by Christina Lauren, but this will not be my last book by them. Such a fun story. And I like a book that can take the idea of finding a soulmate and adding a new twist to it. Is it as simple as, you know, sending off a blood sample and finding who your perfect person is for life? Do you trust science or do you trust your heart? Which one wins? I think these were fun questions to ask. And there are some very creative scientific conversations in this book that I think added some credibility. I am not a scientist. So I do not know how scientifically accurate any of that was, but it sure did sound good. So The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. Okay, I think I really do have to talk about this book because it is summer. I did go on the our local news television network this last week and did talk about this book as a great summer read. So I really feel as if I should put it in here. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I was very lucky to get a advanced copy, uh, an audiobook by Libro FM. Thank you, Libro FM. And I was able to enjoy this before everybody else did. And my hype was already built up. I love Taylor Jenkins Reid already. I think she's a wickedly creative storyteller. And I always like to see what is she going to do? She takes a regular idea and then she totally adds to it and makes it something fresh and different, which is exactly what I needed when I started listening to this book. So let me give you the premise of this book. This is a story of four siblings. Nina, who is a surfer and a supermodel, so we kind of hate her already. Um, Jay and Hud, who are her brothers. Now they are raised like twins, but they are not twins. That gets explained in the book. Um, one is a famous surfer, the other is a photographer who's sort of 
the support of the famous surfer. You, you kind of want this guy to just rise up and have his own moment in the spotlight. You know, you really do. Then there is Kit. She is the youngest sister who really just wants to aspire on her own and become great. They are the children of a very famous musician and who has been scandalized and has had many marriages and all of these things. So they're trying to establish their own life on their own. And it's the story of, let's see, a legendary party, family drama, fame, loyalties, heartbreak, you know, your typical Riva family event. And what I think is really inspired about this book is, yes, everybody's beautiful, everybody has money, there's all this kind of stuff going on, but Taylor Jenkins Reid does something very creative with the narrative on this one. Instead of just telling a story and going person to person, or maybe even doing like she did with Daisy Jones, where it's interview style, or doing it like with Evelyn Hugo, where it was chalked up into moments of her life in series, I think what's really cool about this one is Taylor Jenkins Reid introduces so many characters. You're getting the backstory of a whole host of people in this story. And yet somehow it is not cluttered. It is still very streamlined. You don't get confused about who is who. And the amount of backstory that she provides lends itself so well to the overall narrative that it's not muddled. I don't know how she does this. It was it was really well done. Um, it was a page turner. It's the kind of thing you sit in your car and you don't go in until you've got a few more pages read because you just are not done with it yet. You say no to your family because, hold on, people, you can eat later. I have six more pages to go before the end of this chapter. This is the kind of book Malibu Rising is. And this is the sort of reader that Taylor Jenkins Reid is asking us to become. We are committed to it. We are fully in. And when it's over, we're not left with anything heavy or dark or oppressive or too emotional. It was just a great summer read. So there you go. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I really enjoyed it. It was, once again, the perfect book at the perfect time. Don't you just love that? That is the best. Okay, so now we're going to go a little bit darker because the perfect book at the perfect time for me also has to balance out. I can't do happy book, happy book, happy book, biography, nonfiction, happy book, happy. Like I really need to kind of keep it balanced. So in between some of these happy, upbeat, rom com type books, I have tossed in some titles that aren't like 11 in the lump, if you will. So one of the books I read was called Every Value Break by Peter Swanson. Now, I have never read Peter Swanson before, but apparently I have been missing out. Like, Brandy, where have you been? So Every Value Break is a story of Abigail, who meets Bruce. Bruce is also somebody who seems too good to be true. He has too much money. He's too available. He's too for her. He's too agreeable. He's too quick to commit. He's all these things. And yet she cannot seem to find the flaw to make her say, whoa, 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 girl, stop this one. So she goes along for the ride and decides to marry him. Well, as you can imagine, in this suspense thriller, everything is not as it seems. 
And I do not want to give anything away. So what I'm going to say very carefully, without spoiling anything at all, and I'm really trying to be careful here, is, oh, what can I say? Abigail marries Bruce. They go on a honeymoon, which becomes a nightmare. She encounters a gentleman that she had a regrettable one night stand with on her on her bachelorette weekend and it just goes downhill from there things are not what you think they are everything is topsy-turvy I went on such a ride with this book <laughs> I was not prepared to go from the rom-com <laughs> kind of experience to this full-on thriller suspense my heartbeat was lifted a number of times and I caught myself saying oh, out loud <laughs> so it was a book that demanded a response from me it was very um wow it was very visual as well I had so much imagery in my mind of what was going on and the environment around these characters and the suspense and the fear and the disbelief and the the lies and all the things that were happening I felt like my imagination was full with all this stuff. And then when the book was over, I did think back to an awful lot of these moments. And I really wished I had somebody to talk to about this book. I don't know anybody else who has read this. So if you have read this book, please message me. Maybe we can have a conversation <laughs> about it because I have, I have some things to ask and I have questions. But... I think you should read it. It is a suspense-filled book for sure. And I was also super impressed that Peter Swanson could write this experience from a female point of view so well. Um, yeah, that was actually quite a literary feat. Well done, Peter Swanson. That is not easy to do. And I think in this situation, especially with the dynamic between men and women, he pretty much nailed that. So well done. Every Value Break by Peter Swanson. And then, which I never do, I followed up right away with Eight Perfect Murders, also by Peter Swanson. This was a very different book from Every Value Break, which is exactly what I hoped for. When I did my Goodreads review for this one, I said that this was a love letter to murder mystery novels. It really does feel like that. So the fun idea behind this story is Mal works in a mystery bookstore and when he started working for the store he wrote a blog post called eight perfect murders about the eight murders that he thought were the most efficiently and creatively done in murder mystery novels so he talks about Agatha Christie and a number of other authors that are well known and he talks about why the murders were done well and how they got away with it and that kind of thing so, you know, life goes on and then he gets approached by an FBI agent who says that there have been a couple of murders and the only link that she can discover between the two of them is that they may have been modeled after his blog post. Yes. So this is what's happened. Mal has inspired somebody out there to do murders similar to what was done in these murder mystery novels. So you get the backstory, you get all these things going on. And once again... Things are not as they seem and you're on a ride. I think this one kind of wrapped up a little 
quicker than I would have liked, but gosh, I sure did like the whole murder mystery experience. And I'm not somebody who has dabbled a lot in murder mystery books. I don't really like the police procedurals and the predictable formulaic nature of that. I get a little bored of it, but I really did like this. And it kind of made me feel like I should be reading some more Agatha Christie. I read a number of her books when I was young, but I think that she is so inspired. And as a woman writer who really launched a whole genre in a new way and inspired so many copycat stories, I think I need to go to the original and see what Agatha has to say. So I'm going to revisit her. This book was very interesting. Eight Perfect Murders gave me a lot to think about. I think in some parts it got a little bit complicated. It, it, it could have been simplified. It was almost trying to add too many twists and turns, I think, to kind of keep the reader on edge. But it, overall, I think it ironed itself out. And I really like the idea of it. So will I read another Peter Swanson book? Yes, but I will not be reading it right now. <laughs> I think two in a row is probably pretty good. There are so many other things I have to read. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so keeping with the darker themed reads, I have to tell you about Madam by Phoebe Wynn. This book was very unexpected for me. It's part Jane Eyre, part Handmaid's Tale, and Goodreads calls it a feminist modern gothic tale. It was all of that. So I had no idea what I was getting into. Once again, I got this as a free uh, copy from Libro FM. So thank you, Libro FM. And this was quite the ride for me. Okay, so here's the story. A young teacher gets a job at a prestigious all-girls school called Caldenbrae Hall. But before she knows it, she's starting to get that, you know, that icky sense that something is wrong. Maybe things aren't what they seem. Nobody's giving her a straight answer. And she's not exactly sure who she can trust or who she can ask to find out what's really going on. So they wait until she's past her, I guess, three month probationary period as an employer. And then they start to be more honest with her about the job that she signed on for. So what we discover in this school is that these girls are, well, I'm not going to tell you. Of course, I'm not going to tell you all the details. Come on, no spoilers here. But these girls are wrapped up in things that they don't fully understand. The staff is wrapped up in things that they don't know exactly how to get out of. And it just becomes pattern and habit. And oh my word, the whole feminism and misogyny in this book, it, it okay, oh, there is so much misogyny going on here. The battle between who has the rights over who and why some men just have this patriarchal privilege and what they're going to do with it. Oh my gosh. I, oh, so <laughs> did I just make some funny sounds? I think I did. So as soon as I was done, I told my daughter Hannah about it because she is very good at finding stories that have feminist tones and the misogynistic tendencies in the history and the culture of a story and the patriarchal undertones. So we have a lot of those kinds of conversations. There was nobody else I wanted to talk to about this. But of course, she hasn't read it yet. So, uh, Hannah, hurry up already because I really need to talk about this book with her. <laughs> this book was disturbing and enlightening 
and very suspenseful. And I think that this book also was subject to a rapid ending by editors or publishers or whatever. It just didn't feel as if the ending really matched the rest of the story. So I'm not exactly sure what uh, misalignment was going on there, but I, oh, there was so much happening here. If I was to see this film, I don't think that it would have nearly as much impact as if I was to read this book. Madam by Phoebe Wynn. Wow. Um, if you read it, message me. I would really love to hear your thoughts on this. And Hannah, move this one up on your TBR, girl, because we got to have a conversation. Okay, here's another title that is a little bit darker than my usual. What is going on with me? Is this something that I am leaning towards? Yes, I am. I don't know why. This is just something that I feel like it's an itch I need to scratch. The best place to test out emotional outlets is in a book. It is safe. It is contained. And when it's over, you can go back to your life. So the next book that I read was called Mirrorland by Carol Johnstone. This was something that I really enjoyed until probably about three quarters of the way through the book. And then it just accelerated its pace and it didn't seem to make nearly as much sense to me. I think this could have been a much shorter story, but however, I digress. Maybe you'll have a very different experience with it. So here's the premise. Cat and Elle are twins. They grew up in Scotland in a very tumultuous kind of existence. And to cope with that, they created imaginary places. They created characters they could get to know. They created spaces that they felt safe in. Uh, one of these places that they created was called Mirrorland. And the two sisters would go there and they would have adventures. They made friends. They did all sorts of things that they could never conquer in their own lives. So as they grew up, the girls separated. They became estranged. And Kat hears that her sister Elle has disappeared. So she has to return to Scotland to help solve this puzzle about where her sister went. Only to find out her sister married the boy that the two of them loved named Ross. Well, Ross still kind of loves both girls. And now he and Kat are trying to figure out what their relationship looks like as they both try to discover what happened to Elle. There are many questions in this book about what is real and what is not. Keeping the idea that both Kat and Elle lived in an imaginary world for much of their youth just to cope with their lives, that has not left them. So what does it look like when they are adults and there is a tragedy? Do they go back to an imaginary place? Do you trust your own mind? Do you believe in your own memories because you don't know if that's real or not. Oh, lots of questions here. Who is really who they say they are? Oh, that's a good question. So lots of good twists in this one. I think it got a little bit wordy in parts that was unnecessary. I do like the wrap up of this book. I thought the wrap up was nicely done with a bow, but still with questions. It was good. Um, I've never read anything by Carol Johnstone before, but this was a great, great book. Quite a surprise for me too, as I was kind of just pulled in by the cover and curious enough to think, sure, a book about twins, that could be fun. 
It was a great suspense read and I liked the idea that as I was reading it, I also felt like my imagination was pulled in and I could no longer be trusted as the reader with what I was taking away. What I just read, was that real or was it not? Was I just going along with their imaginative tale or was that an actual event? I like the fact that I was also questioning things because of my own imagination in the story. So that was quite a creative reading experience, which I quite liked. Um, Mirrorland is a very unique idea for kids who've undergone trauma and their ability to cope. They create something that they can handle. They create something that makes sense only to them. And the idea of twins who have a unique way to communicate and understand each other that nobody else gets. This was smart. What a great book. Mirrorland by Carol Johnstone. Okay, now to switch gears just a little bit. I read a book that Hannah told me I should read because this book had affected her so much when she was young. And it left her with so many positive feelings and the kind of experience that when you talk about it, you put your hands on your chest and you go, oh, that book. This is the kind of experience that so many people have had about The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo. I've never read it. So I decided, heck yeah, get off your suspense train and read this book. Well, I did. And it really, really ruined me. I cried. Oh my gosh. Okay, if you've read this book, it's a mid-grade book and it is a story of Edward who is a china rabbit who wears clothes and he's the precious toy of a little girl. Well, throughout his entire life, he finds somebody who loves him and then somebody else decides, no, get rid of that toy. It's awful. And they throw it out or they destroy it or they try to get rid of him for some reason, almost as if they are jealous of the goodness and the love that is possible within him, and they have to banish it. It's very, very strange, but he finds himself just then waiting for the next person to find him who will love him, and he goes on all sorts of adventures, and he finds people who maybe the world says are hard to love or unlovable in some way, and he is their buddy. And slowly, Edward goes from being just somebody who just takes part in his life and watches it happen and just says, okay, fine, this is my life, to he slowly, almost like the Grinch, where the Grinch, his heart grows 10 times bigger. Well, Edward's heart grows with each person that he's with, and he starts to learn what love is. Oh my gosh, this book, I can't, oh, okay, read this book. If you need to read it with kids, have Kleenex nearby because it might be very tender for you too. It was such a good read. Now, one of the greatest parts of this book, I have to say, were the illustrations. They were done by Bagram, I'm going to say his name wrong, Ibatulin. Ibatulin? Bagram Ibatulin, I think is how you say it. The illustrations are not your typical kids' book pictures. They are so classy and detailed and artistic. They blew me away. Um, get this book. That's all I'm going to say. The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. Get this book, read this book, and then have a copy for yourself. Give it away as a shower gift. That is absolutely a great idea. For mid-grade story reads for teachers, you probably already know this, teachers, because you are so brilliant and you know way more about what's great. This would be a great classroom discussion book. So 
Ah, yeah, Kate DiCamillo, thank you for this book. It is so wonderful. Now, the last book I'm going to talk about, because we've talked about a ton of books today, but this one I think is a really good one to close this episode off. The Pearl by John Steinbeck. Ah, you didn't think I was going to throw a classic in there, did you? No, no, no. I'm always about keeping it fresh, y'all. That's what I do. Okay, so if you know anything about what I have read and what I have loved, you know that I love John Steinbeck. I think he was a fantastic writer, and I have never read anything by him that I did not feel grateful to have read after. The Pearl is not a big book. It is a tiny little thing. It is a retelling of a Mexican folktale. Here's the premise. So Kino is a diver, but he's not terribly successful. He's a third generation diver, and I don't really think anybody in his family was a master diver. They just do this so they can find items to sell to feed their families. One day, he discovers the ultimate pearl, as large as a gull's egg, the aspiration of every diver. This is the kind of pearl that is talked in legends. Everybody knows it's out there. It's the Shangri-La. It's, it's the ultimate find. And Kino comes upon it. What do you do? So now he'll be happy, right? He'll be able to buy all the things that his family needs. He will be famous. Everything in the world will become easier now. Everything will be great, right? Hmm, will it? So Kino is asked, what is truly valuable? What would you trade for wealth? What does love really look like? And where does greed fit into all of this? Greed, evil, hope, devotion. Steinbeck nails it in this book. There are so many powerful little messages. The themes are so nicely done. And what I think he does so well in this book is he says so much with so little. So many authors, I think, try to say as much as they can and they just keep going until somebody catches on. Steinbeck says, okay, let's nail this down because I want your reading time to be valuable. Let's make this succinct. Let's make it powerful and let's make it memorable. Oh, and he does. The Pearl by John Steinbeck. Go read it. You won't be sorry. Well, that's it. We wrapped up this episode, you guys. It was all books. Nothing but books today. Okay, here we go. You know what I'm going to say. In your reading life, be relevant, be generous, and be unforgettable. Find a community of people who can talk about books with you. Share your books with others. Talk about books that are both things that are going on in your life or in the world or in culture or in an area that interests you. Books make you better. Books make you smarter. Books give you more empathy, more perspective on the world. It's an active tool for your imagination. Ah, so here is to your reading life being extraordinary. Talk to you soon. 